The Lonely Gal. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Lonely Gal podcast. My name is Judy Wong, and I'm your guide on this journey. Today's fabulous guest is Brian Penny, a doctor in neuroscience and an author of the book Bonus Time. Today we'll be discussing how the brain is wired for connection and how important it is to stay connected. Today's podcast is brought to you in association with Graco Studios based in Finglas, Dublin. They offer a hybrid solution for video, photography and podcasting. For more information, please check out their website at gracostudios.com. So, Brian, thank you so, so much for being here. An absolute pleasure, Judy. I'm I'm really excited for this topic. It's 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 a, it's a topic that I haven't taught much about directly mm-hmm. in terms of loneliness, but it, it, it permeates so many elements of my life, my old life, my new life today mm. in terms of connection and stuff like that as well. So really excited to be here. Oh my God, I'm even more excited to like dive into the brain now because <laughs> it is all about the brain and I'm I guess one of the things I'm super fascinated and I'm sure the listeners will be fascinated is how the brain functions through these different emotions especially when it comes to lonely feelings so I guess could you actually um start us off with um telling us a little bit about perhaps the first time you've experienced uh, your own personal experience of loneliness? Yeah, wow. Um, my first time experiencing loneliness. I don't think I could talk about the first time mm. experiencing loneliness, but I could talk about a huge segment of my life of loneliness. Yeah. I didn't have the words to call it loneliness at the time and only retrospectively. So my my, my journey uh, into science and brain science started with a lot of uh, a lot of pain. Mm. And I spent many, many years in addiction. And it really taps into that because I struggled a lot with anxiety and emotional discomfort within my body. And that sort of came from childhood trauma. And I found a way to numb those feelings through drugs. And I became a heroin addict for 15 years. But a byproduct of that was that I was numbing my feelings, completely disconnecting myself from me, from how Mm. I felt in the world. And by numbing myself, I was disconnecting myself from other people because your connection with other people is based on emotion. So it was only, I I was so deluded and so broken in the years of addiction that I never really was able to take a step back and think of that. Mm -hmm. I obviously felt psychologically and emotionally broke during that time, but it was only retrospectively I realized I was so disconnected from the world and I was always lonely. I was always just looking to fix me. It was a very self-centered way of living for many people in addiction because I felt so bad. I needed to get drugs so I could feel better. And I was so disconnected from other people. I just always felt alone. I always felt disconnected in even when I was in a room with other people. Now, I had phenomenal supports in my life. My Mm. family were absolute heroes, but I was even disconnected from them. And it's only the difference. I'm 10 years I'm 10 years free now of, dr- of drug addiction, which is great. And it's only when I have forged incredible relationships in my life with my family, reconnected with them, yeah. that I was able to realise how lonely and isolated I was. God, it sounds a little like you're in your own prison. Yeah. In your own, like, solitude 
And I guess when you talk about the disconnection, well, no one around you was at the same level of addiction. So you couldn't really like find that connection with people to kind of even talk about what you were going through. Or could you? That's really interesting, Judy, and I've never thought about it like that before because my addiction, I, I, I lived in a world of lies and I, I, was oh, okay. a, I was a black belt in self-deception. Okay. So I used to tell myself that I wasn't a real addict, like the train-spotting oh. version of the addicts on the street. Yeah. I worked, I was a functional addict for a long, long time. Right. I had a car, so I wasn't like them, that's in inverted commas. But on the back of that then, I didn't fit into any world because I wasn't in the world of addiction, even though I was a registered heroin addict for 12 years I didn't believe I was a real addict so I never really stepped into that world and I wasn't in the world of let's say normal people I suppose so I was disconnected I could never relate to anybody because I was always had one foot in each world which was really challenging as well so I've never I've never thought about it from that level and that probably sort of drove my 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 sense of disconnection to another level how important is it for us to connect with other people it is I would say the most fundamental component of mm. mental and physical health. And the research backs this up. Okay. Like one of the biggest predictors of reducing symptoms of Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. dementia is social connection. Mm. It's, it's absolutely incredible. One of the biggest predictors of good mental health is social connection. And we'll talk about the brain science of that. But I, I often talk about exercise and social connection. If you can tick those two boxes you are really in a good space. So I would probably I would probably put it up there as number one. It's the relationships. And you talk about having experiences, creating memories with other people. We are emotional and social beings. So the social bonds that we have with other people, it just permeates every other area of our life. So I, I think it's one of the most important things that we need to have is, is social connection in our lives, a sense of belonging. A sense of belonging, yeah. yeah. A sense of like we fit in. Yeah. However, Mr. Brian, Penny, when we don't fit in, so we are going through the height of a disconnect. And I know it's only for a short term, this experience. What is the brain doing while it's while we're processing this small experience? It's not small, like it is a big experience for people because I know everyone's talking about loneliness a lot more now. And it's very odd sometimes hear a good friend maybe perhaps say, I have a husband and I have a child and I'm breastfeeding my child at 2am in the morning and I feel very lonely. And then I'm thinking, but she's got a little person on her and she's got a big person over there. And (coughs) what is What's happening to us? Like, what is the brain doing? What are those chemicals that are flying off to signal that we're feeling super lonely? I think the word you said there is really, really important to signal that we're super mm. lonely because it really is a process. It's like it's it's an action uh-huh. of what's actually going on in our brains. And to break it down, like as I said already, we are social beings. And mm. when we haven't got social connection and having relationships with other people, our, our, our nervous system actually releases levels of cortisol. Like it's the stress hormone within mm. our bodies. And this is really a signal for our brains to find connection. Mm. Because just like 
we need there's this thing called so, social homeostasis. So it's just like when we're hungry. An example of that to, to give you give you a, a, a metaphor nearly for it. Like imagine you're hungry, you eat food and you're in homeostasis. You're in balance. You don't need to eat any more food. Mm. If you eat too much, you feel you eat too much. So you need to get to that middle point all of the time. And social connection is like that as well. If you haven't been around a lot of people for a long time and you feel isolated, mm. your brain will nudge you in the direction just like you need to eat and it gives you a hunger feeling. Mm your brain will give you a feeling that you need to connect with other people. And really, I won't go into the depths of the brain science behind that, but at a, at a, at a, at a peripheral level, I suppose, there's two sort of processes going on. And they already come from an area of the brain called the raphe nucleus. It's the dorsolateral raphe nucleus, but you don't, you don't really... Re- raphe, raphe nucleus. nucleus. Yes. Okay, Judy Wong is learning a word. Raphe nucleus. <laughs> I'm going to change it into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Raphael, and then Nucleus. Raphael Nucleus, <laughs> Raphael to nucleus. remember this. Okay, and that's... That's in I the hear. back of the brain. It's in okay. the midbrain and sort of comes up the pathway, kind of comes up the back of the brain. Uh-huh. But it goes into two different areas. And let's just say we have a neural pathway that's connected to the Raphael nucleus that gets us to connect with other people. So it gives us a form of a craving. I need to connect with other people. And when you meet your people, your group, it gives you a little bit of burst of, it, of serotonin, okay. which is a neurotransmitter in the brain. It gives you a boost of dopamine. Dopamine is often known as the pleasure neurotransmitter in the brain. It's not really that plays a role there but it's Mm -hmm. more about giving you the motivation to do that again so it's saying this is good do this again in the future and it also releases uh, oxytocin which is neither a hormone or a neurotransmitter it's like a hybrid kind of a kind of a compound within the brain but that just increases that social bond that we have. So that's one pathway in the brain. So it nudges us in the right direction to connect with other people, reinforces and rewards us when we do that because mm-hmm. behavior that's rewarded is repeated mm-hmm. and that brings us back into homeostasis. But there's also another pathway as well, which is aligned to an area of the brain called the amygdala. People often associate this with fear, the fear response. But the amygdala is a lot more complicated than that. So basically, this is the stay away part of our brain. So if you connect with people who aren't good for you or are not your people or there's a danger involved, especially for young people, it will say, stay away from these people. Don't go back to them. So there's kind of two pathways in the brain to nudge us towards the people who we should connect with Mm -hmm. and stay away from people that are are more dangerous, I suppose, especially Mm -hmm. for young kids. But this idea is social. There's there's great new research, brain science around this as well. There's um, a peptide called tachykinin within the brain. And this is new research that they do in animal studies and humans as well. But what they show is that when people are in social isolation for a long, long time, which is a little bit different than being lonely because you can be lonely in a room Mm. full of people but if you are actually socially isolated there's a build up of this peptide within your brain and this robustly predicts paranoia anxiety stress and aggression which is counterproductive because if it's pushing you towards that's one of the that's one of the tools to push you towards to link with people and connect with people Mm -hmm. which is a little bit counterintuitive but this is just what's going on in the brain so the social isolation can robustly predict all of these challenges that people face and keep them trapped and isolated at the same time and keep them trapped yeah in that like particular way of being yeah, well, if 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 you are paranoia, mm-hmm. if you are feeling anxious and stressed, yeah. you're not necessarily, and if you're a little bit introverted as well, yeah. you might necessarily want to connect with people and sort of 
even though you want to connect with people, people don't like change. So especially for people post-COVID and stuff like that, they spent a lot of time on their own. And I've met people who have described themselves, I used to love coming into a room and coming in and meeting loads of new people and I still enjoy it, but I don't want to do it anymore before COVID. I just feel nervous about it. So it's a really strange phenomenon. I I think COVID has thrown a lot of balls into the air and we're still running around trying to catch them balls to see what's actually going on. So... Do you think people are aligning more with their authentic self, but don't know? So, for example, if maybe they didn't realize they were a little bit more comfortable with being in their own company. And now that they know that they're a little bit okay with being in their own company, but then it's probably causing them still to be more anxious because it's the post impact of COVID I don't even know what I'm trying to say here, but I'm trying to figure out, are people now realising that they're okay with being on their own? And this, do you know why? I I think we are struggling with the question here is because the question is so paradoxical. The answer is so paradoxical. Because even a few moments ago, I said the social connection is one of the most important components of human life. And I fundamentally believe that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, and I think this is one of the challenges that we face, like we often get polarised viewpoints, especially in political arenas, you get these polarised views. But the reality is that we need to hold similar truths at the same time and where a social connection is incredibly important it's Mm -hmm. also incredibly important to be okay on your own in your own skin to be able to sit quietly with yourself and if you can sit quietly with yourself and you have a sense of calm and inner peace about Mm -hmm. you then you can bring your full authentic self when you meet other people Mm -hmm. but if you are struggling and you're feeling a little bit agitated a little bit anxious a little bit not knowing where you fit it would sort of push you towards a fear of bringing your authentic self because maybe mm. limiting beliefs, am I good enough? Am I enough for other people? Do I fit in? And if you're bringing those anxieties to the table as well, well, then you might be trying to put on a mask. And there's so many people mm. that put on a mask in the world. It's it's We all do it to a certain extent. Yeah. Like you don't, you go into a, a restaurant you treat the waiter like a waiter. You have your customer mask on to a certain extent. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. You don't treat the waiter like the guards. There are certain rules that you, that you play there as well. But we've got to have this underlying authentic sense of self that we need to bring into situations too. And I think when you're struggling psychologically and emotionally and there's there's uncertainty there, mm-hmm. I think it can just throw a lot of uh, challenges um, for people that do try to connect with, with other people then. I think what you just said is so fascinating about being able to ground yourself in your own alone space. I guess being content with the solo holistic way of being on your own. But then there's also trying to balance that and be aware of like when that alone time actually becomes a very um, more anxious and stressful time. That there's a positive alone time and there's also that negative space as well. Yeah, and it's it's like that. What I think what you've described there beautifully is really like you spend you're spending that time in your own, which mm. is really good for you. But then your body will give you the little nudges mm. and the little cravings saying, and it will push you towards social connection. Right, we need to we need to talk to other people now. We need yeah. to connect with other people. And I remember this very specifically when I wrote my book in 2019. It would have been just before COVID. Yeah. I was spending a lot of time writing, and I used to get this sort of craving. I'd be in a coffee shop. That's where I wrote me, most of my book, and I used to go up and just talk to the barista 
honest as I'd feel this need to connect with people and mm. I'd have to get out and it was it was my body mm. telling me you need to connect this is what we need to do to sustain good health mm-hmm. but something that has jumped out at me there as well Judy that I think is really really important I think there's this false sense of connection that's out there as well and this is true social media it's true our devices that we feel that we're connected and I just zoom calls with people in the workplace like the hybrid working model as well like a lot of, a lot of people don't realize this but you will never make eye contact with someone on a zoom call ever you look Do we not? at well you look at the screen you don't look at the camera oh. and they look at the camera and the screen so you never make <sighs> eye contact on Zoom. And these, so what are we doing? It's Brian? interesting, isn't it? We're actually it? looking at the screen, we're not looking at the person we're, we're, really kind of. Yeah, because we're looking at their eyes on the screen and they're looking at uh, the camera above the screen is actually looking into, is looking at our faces. So there's no eye contact. We're not looking into anyone's eyes. We're looking into the screen, which isn't the position of that. Whoa, I'm like <laughs> getting a little bit of a, like you just dropped the mic there. I'm like... So what have I been doing then the last couple of years during COVID? Yeah, it's we've been communicating, but we're, we're, we're losing the non-verbal communication. Like we're verbally communicating and we're seeing, like on oh, Zoom, okay. we're seeing the bodily expressions, the facial expressions. But eye contact is a, is a, is a really important component of yes. connection with other people. Yes. So I think between our devices, between phone calls as well, between just texting, texting, I have a real issue with texting, I always have Um, (laughs) and it it serves a purpose but you cannot communicate emotionally through texting and I think at the voices we're losing a lot of that real connection that we have with other people as well. So we're diluting things down. Yeah. Through technology we're going, whoop, thank God we had Zoom because now I can see my grandmom or I can see my granddad in Australia or my relatives but really there's also that kind of Dilution, actually. That that's it. Dilution, and I I think the reason why I went down that lines, I was wondering why why I went down that angle. I think one of the challenges we face, which links back into an ability to sit comfortably with yourself, mm. I have noticed this that the longer um, I have had technology in my life, that it gives you that urge to jump on your phone. It's yeah. a distraction. So all of a sudden we're losing an ability to hold attention. We're losing an ability to sit comfortably with ourselves mm. because of this technology. And we're losing an ability to connect with other people through multiple uh, pathways, through technology as well. So I think it's it's multifaceted. And the brain science behind that is, is quite powerful as well. That's why I think our devices hold so much power because it's really tapping into those reward pathways of the brain. Oh, it's like technology is trying to recondition the way we as humans are like connecting in with the world. Yeah. But it's through, obviously it's through a technical platform, which actually got me here, got me to speak to you. So it's a, it's a double, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, like, I guess it's a double edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. It's finding your balance within technology to allow you to kind of gravitate also that, yes, we do need technology, but we also need to be more on a real time face to face with people and give this a wee bit of detoxing because it's not the real way of how humans were made to connect caveman wives. Yeah. Thousands and thousands and thousands. We didn't have that way of connecting. We had real time and and we could see people's emotions and read them a bit better than on the, calling it a flat screen, but like the laptop or the the phone. Whatever it is. Yeah. 100%. That's just really 
made me really like I've recently gotten a lot of people even my family like maybe my, my nephews go Judy wh- why don't you have a TV and I'm like it's one less screen time if you will mm-hmm. to distract me now I was very conscious about like not having a TV for the longest time now I did um Daphne didn't feel connected when people were talking about like a show like Big Brother or Love Island or whatnot. Love, hate, I had no idea. And I felt a little bit just like a bit uncomfortable in a conversation about like shows. But overall, I I think my wellness has been better because I've been able to kind of go, well, I'm not focusing on time with TV. I'm actually thinking, oh, who could I meet? What books can I read? Um, What can I do for myself to help me in that like space of being holistically connecting to myself. Now, it is very hard, like, you know, laptop and computers surround us. Technology is all around us. Kids are grown up on it. What is the best way for us as beings to connect in with our families and, you know, parents who are struggling at the minute, trying to rear their children whilst working, but also need to utilise technology, but also know it could be a way that they're disconnecting from their wee little connections or with each other, with partnerships and stuff. Like, how can we manage this? With great difficulty, Judy, Mm. is the unfortunate truth and what I'm finding. Like, I I think we're working against, like, some of the best scientists in the world, computer scientists that are creating algorithms to rob you of your attention. This is the reality of it. And I think... What we need to do is, like, as you said, technology's here and it's not going to go. Like, you often hear about addiction. Like, if you have a drinking problem, abstinence is the key. You can mm. stop drinking, don't have it around, never drink again. That's one of the, the best things that somebody can do if they have a drinking problem. Mm. Food addictions are much worse because you have to eat. Yeah. And I heard this recently with phone addictions and technology addictions. Like, you can't tell your kids that they can't use their devices. It is the way the world is going. So what we have to do is we have to find a way to manage them so they serve us instead of being a slave. Mm. Something you said to me at the very start is really interesting. I was like I was trapped in a prison, an invisible prison, and it mm. was. But I think the technology is trapping us in an invisible prison as well. And it's very hard. I consider myself to have really good mental health Mm. and yet I'm still finding the pull of technology hard to resist. I've sort of put in strategies. I've used technology to help me to get away from the technology and there is some great new technological research going on out there as well. So I I have a a little tile at the moment that's called Unpluck with a Q. Unpluck. Unpluck. It's a Dutch company. So I have it on my keys and I basically set schedules on my phone. So I'm locked out of my phone for deep time in the (laughs) evenings from six o'clock to nine o'clock. I'm locked out of my phone now I can use that little tile to access my phone if I need to yes but it gives me the awareness that I'm not mindlessly just jumping on my phone and the reason why I do it from six to nine o'clock is because I found myself um looking at my phone in the evenings and my stepdaughter Ruby would say I'll get off your phone I said I have to I'm modeling bad behavior yeah and I didn't do it much and that was having an impact in the house 
So I think we need to find ways. And you don't have to utilise technology. Like we're moving into a new house next week and yeah. I says one of the most important things we need to get in the house is a phone box outside of the sitting room. So it's a box. You just put the phone in and there'll be no phones. I've never had phones at the dinner table. So have rules. Have black and white rules. No phones at the dinner table. No phones in between this time and that time. Whether yeah. that's family rules, personal rules. And I think that's what we need to do because the power of this technology is incredible. Yes. So we need to do something that might seem a little bit out there or a little bit too much, but I do think we need a an appropriate response to the to the challenge that we're facing. Yeah, oh my goodness. Like I think you need to kind of put like a patent on your box and just put it's gonna be the bride the phone, phone box. box and it won't be the old classic phone box that we used to kind of go in and like <laughs> it'll be a different concept well there is some stuff out there I've seen yeah. it already and this says right. it all this says it all Judy that some people have gotten these time locked safes Ooh. so they put the phone in and it locks it for three hours and they can't get access oh, but how 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 um, amazing and, and scary that is that people have to get time locked <laughs> safes to not go on their phone oh, and this gotta, is the pull that's yeah. happened for some people I'm going to buy a load of stamps and a piece of paper and pen <laughs> <laughs> start scribing to people and post oh my god that's actually really fascinating do you know another thing because you talk about the challenges that like everybody faces with technology I just recently um, saw um, Brezzy Brezzy. Niall Breslin. No, Breslin. Breslin, yes. we're, I'm a good friend of oh, Brezzy, good. actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, glad yeah. you are. Yeah. I've been a fan of his anyway He's from since forever because of his vulnerability. And it really, it was powerful because he's a man explaining vulnerability. But he recently just said he's doing this challenge of like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., and he's not perfect at it, but he's he's trying his best to do it. And I sent it to a couple of friends. What do you think of this in the new year? Can we do it? Because it would be quite fascinating to kind of start conditioning or reconditioning the mind into healthy habits. And, uh, you know, he speaks a lot about mental health. And obviously he's super aware about like the effects of technology. And some of us, you you mentioned a word, we're, we're using it mindlessly. So we're not using it with like intention. Yeah. And I, I think that I think that's the challenge. And I think there's 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 multiple factors going on at the same time because I think slowly our attention is being robbed mm. by technology, by advertisers, by the way the busyness of the world is going. Yeah. Everyone is just so busy, 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 busy. It's all I hear lately is I oh, was just busy, busy, busy. And I think it is an effect of COVID as well. And combining the, the busyness of life with the lack of attention that we have and inability to be present because there's so many distractions out there mm. that we're just mindlessly jumping into one thing after another. And I remember a book I read one time, it's called Awareness, a phenomenal book called Awareness by a guy called Anthony DeMello. And he describes many people, and this is back in the 80s, I think, he describes people go to school asleep, mm -hmm. they uh, get jobs asleep, they get married asleep, they grow up and they retire asleep and they die in their sleep. And they're never really truly awake. It's a very spiritual way of looking at things. And to wake up is to how he describes it is to be in contact with reality. Mm. Smell the roses, smell the coffee, be in nature. It's a great entry point for 
contact and reality and actually waking up. And I think the phones and technology and televisions and negative news and many of the challenges of the modern world just pull us away from that. And everybody is fighting for your attention. Like it's an attention economics world that we live in. So we have the Googles of the world. We have all of these massive corporations fighting for our attention to buy this, buy that. And it's 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 a scary it's a scary place we're going when when you think about our minds and our mindset. Yeah, it's it's the more you're saying it, the more I'm like, oh god, I'm now more aware of the volume. Yeah, it's uh, we don't even realize how much volume we're placing on even the newer, younger <laughs> generation that are coming through, or the likes of you know, just they have a lot to absorb and they don't know how to differentiate. Like we have a little bit better awareness, but yeah. do they? I don't think they do. It's it's really, really interesting. Something that, that, that strikes me as well, like when we look at the evolution of our species, mm. we predominantly grew up, or let's say in tribes of yeah. 150 to 500 people. I think that was the max. But the prime number is about 200 people, I think, for the tribe <laughs> that really operates well. And if you have a tribe of 200 people and they've evolved that way over time, like everyone knows everyone within that tribe and everyone has a has a job and a mission and a purpose, let's say, within that tribe of what they do and everyone knows what they do. And let's say you're in the middle and you don't feel that important. Well, to get to the very top... It's not that big a gap, like you know. Yeah, you can you can say right. I'm motivated to get to the top to feel more important to do more in my little world, whatever mm-hmm. that is. But imagine being in a city with like a million people, and you feel alone within that city, and whatever you do isn't really going to make much of an impact. And now I'm thinking of of younger people with their phones and all, like they're living in their phones, they're living in these big cities. We're all bombarded with all of these messages again and again and again. Like, where is our place in the world? Mm. Where do we belong? Mm. And and, and I think that's where we're losing that connection. Yeah, it's kind of because I work with a lot of younger people as well, Brian. Um, I feel like because you speak about awareness a lot and I think it's an important part to ignite in the younger generation is that sense of awareness and choice. Recently, when I was like coming out with the podcast, a young girl age 14 had texted and said, You know, I do feel lonely, she says, but what I do is I go into my books to escape reality. But you just said there, we need to kind of stay in reality to get that connection. Yeah, we we do, I suppose, to really wake up. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading a good book Mm. and getting lost in a good book. And I would promote the hell out of that. That's some really good, solid, like, that's, that's... that's connecting with your mind and connecting with yourself as Create well. Space. But I would say like connecting with reality in terms of our senses. Okay. Like I think there's a lot of sensory perception going on there. Like you're, you're absorbed within a book and I mm. think that's good. But I just think for people are, I think what, what Anthony DeMello, let's say he's talking about where people are walking around to sleep is they're just automatically doing things. They're getting into their car. Like have you ever drove a car for 20 minutes to work and you realise can't remember the journey and it happens and it's like we habitually do things and that's why people feel really alive when they go on holidays and when they go traveling because everything is new Mm. but when when we habituate to things and we're on the grind we're just going to work we're getting up in the morning we're brushing our teeth eating our breakfast going to work doing the job that we don't like jumping on our phones during lunch break coming home making dinner or whatever we're doing there's a lot of mindless activities going on there so we need to like really contact reality and say right what am I actually doing to bring the awareness into life Mm. 
And I, I think for me, like I'm looking at the two plants behind you there and I often, when I think back, I had I sort of a spiritual experience when I broke free from addiction, a very spiritual experience where I just felt very alive, very, very alive. And the core element of that was that everything just seemed brighter and I was aware of so many things. Mm. And I remember like, I'll sound like a tree hugger now, but I remember looking <laughs> at trees and looking at plants and I just, I felt an aliveness about them. Yeah. And I've been busy for the last few years between writing a book, getting the, the business together. And 2024 is a big year for me to reconnect with my spiritual self because I think I was just doing too much. Yeah. And I was disconnecting from myself, disconnecting from the, the gift I believe I was given back 10 years ago when I did break free from addiction. And I think it's just spending more time slowing down because I think we're just all on a treadmill. We're doing, doing, doing. Mm. Like we're not, I heard that saying one time, we're not human doings, we're human beings. Yes. We need to be more. Just mm. sit on the grass and just sit on the grass. Spend time in nature. I think nature is a great entry point. Pets, babies, they're all little signals to be bring you back into the is present there moment. There? Isn't it? It's the present moment. That's, True. that's where it's at. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like when you're talking about uh, connecting in with your spirituality, there is a lot of movement towards that as well. And like, you know, connecting in with nature, connecting with your younger self or your inner child. Yeah. Like it's such an important space to tap into if you want to perhaps release um, certain fears around your vulnerabilities of being alone or fearful or those anxious spaces that tapping into nature or healthy kind of routines that can kind of replace maybe certain experiences, there are going to be all the things that are going to really better humanity. But definitely nature is a, a no-brainer. It's it's a no-brainer. Mm. It really is. I, th I think you touched on something really important there. One of the most powerful tools of habit change. I do a lot of work around habit change with mm. people. And there's loads of ways to change your habits. Like one of the biggest challenges people face is that they believe that if they're drinking too much, they need to stop drinking. But what precedes the drinking? Is it anxiety? Is it stress? Is it mm. disconnection? Are you feeling alone and lonely and you're drinking to fill a hole in your soul that isn't going to fill the hole in your soul because you need to connect with other people. There's something else fundamentally there. Mm. So I, I, I think I think we need to just tap into those aspects of our lives. But when it comes to habit change, and I think it's a great thing that we can actually do, like if you want to change your habits, you've got to change the triggers and the cues of that's driving the behavior. But one thing that we can do quite simply in a way is let's say you're feeling a little bit stressed. Well, instead of having a glass of wine, go for a walk with the dog. Mm. call a friend connect with nature so you the trigger will stay the same the challenge will stay the same but replace the behaviour from one that doesn't serve you to one that brings presence into your life connection into your life whatever it is that you need to bring you back to where you need to be and I, I remember a great, a great tool I used personally myself was I used to check I used to notice that when I was driving in traffic and I get to the traffic lights that was a cue for me to pick up my phone and I, I, I check I remember one time I checked the 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 transfer news. It was in the summer. I'm a Liverpool supporter and I checked was there any transfers. The transfer centre just flicked it on it was open. Two minutes later I got to another set of traffic lights and I checked the transfer centre again. There was no transfers in two minutes. That, that Nothing happened within two minutes and I had this realisation I'm just mindlessly checking my phone. So what I'd done with that was 
I had to put my phone on the floor of the passenger seat so I didn't have access to it. And I would get the traffic lights and I'd sniff a boredom. I'd feel that little urge to replace that boredom. So it says, right, I'm going to take a deep breath. So we do a little breathing exercise mm. where I replaced lack of attention and disconnect and mindlessly jumping onto my phone with a mindful breath, a present moment breath. So everything stayed the same, but I just really changed the behavior. So that's something simple that people can actually do is just change what you're going to do with something that's going to serve you and help you to be present and more connected. That's powerful. That is very powerful. I think people need to hear more about the options of what they can do within their present being and as simple as just breath work, which we all need to breathe, but mindlessly breathing. Whereas when you have a moment where you're feeling, oh shoot, like I am actually not really connecting in with myself. I do truly believe breathing helps slow things down and then just engage with the focus of pure breathing can actually get rid of the, what do you call them? The madness in your head. Yeah. Just. Just slows it all down. So I once heard uh, you're born with a breath and you die with a breath. It must be important. <laughs> oh, that's a deadly quote. It's cool, isn't it? I don't know where I heard you're it. I don't know. It was, it was, someone just said it one you time. And breath. and breath means spirit. Like it's it's really? it's our life force. If you look okay. at the etymology of breath, yeah. it means spirit. It's our life force. Like so, it's so such an important tool to uh, for us to utilize. Simple, so simple. It's there. Simple at every moment. Yeah. Well, Brian, I just, you can drop the actual mic there. Take that mic and drop it now. (laughs) Because I have been completely like, I feel like there's so much stuff going on in my my brain right now. It's like, is it the dopamine or is it the oxygen? I don't know. All the big fancy words you use, it is like exploding right now. But also exploding in terms of what a privilege and honor to just listen to you and your journey and also um, like divulging in how the brain works and what it does in relation to if it's got fear, if it needs connection, the little wee prompts. Um, I think it's going to be such an amazing episode. People are going to be writing in and going, my takeaways are X. Y, Z. There's so many beautiful nuggets of information. Um, I, I can only say, Gurumila Magus. <laughs> Thanks so much, Julie. It was an absolute pleasure. It really yeah, was. Thank you so much for listening today with myself and Dr. Brian Penny. If anything resonates with you on this podcast, please reach out to our socials at the lonely gal underscore or the email lonely gal podcast at gmail.com to dr brian penny's instagram at brian penny 78 we'd love to hear your stories and we'll see you at our next episode